Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. I'm your host, Heidi E. Wilcox, bringing you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you who are looking to connect where your passion meets the world's deep need. Today on the podcast, I got to talk to Dr. Mike Voigt's Professor of Spiritual Formation at Asbury Seminary. Dr. Voigt's academic interests lie in personal and community spiritual direction and in drawing connections between spiritual traditions in the global church. He is also a member of the Lay Cistercians of Gethsemane Abbey. In addition to several articles, he is the author of Letters of Ascent, Spiritual Direction, and the letters of Bernard of Clairvaux and his most recent book, The Fourth Degree of Prayer. In today's conversation, we talk about Dr. Voigt's calling, community, and of course, his new book, The Fourth Degree of Prayer, which we'll link to in our show notes. It's available for purchase on Wiffenstock and Amazon. So now uh, let's listen to my conversation with Dr. Voigt's. Dr. Voigt, it's a delight to get to talk to you today. I read your book, um, The Fourth Degree of Prayer. Absolutely loved it. Oh, thank so, you. Which just really gave me a lot to think about as I think about prayer. And you talked about the four degrees of prayer, which we'll get into a little more later, because I want to take the, the first part of our conversation to get to know you a little bit, but just so grateful for this opportunity. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. So how did you experience your call to ministry? And then I'll tag on a second question, which they say not to do in journalism <laughs> school, but how did you experience your call to ministry and then come to Asbury Seminary the multiple times that you've been sure. here? Sure, yeah. I, I was raised in New Orleans, and, and I was raised outside of the Methodist tradition. I was raised in the Lutheran Church. And I was 10 years old going through the three-year catechism, they called it, or, or confirmation class. And my German pastor, Edgar Hamrichhausen, now that's a German name, <laughs> he, he just flat out told me, he said, you're going to be a pastor one day. Really? I was 10 years old, and it's the last thing I ever wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I had no confidence in myself. I just, I, I was a writer. I'd kept a journal since I was like eight years old, and I loved to express myself in writing, but not public speaking. So I... I absolutely ignored that until I was a college student at Baylor in Texas, and I started dating uh, my future wife, Cheryl, who was at Texas A&M, and we worked at a, at a summer camp called Sky Ranch in East Texas. And she told me, she said, I always thought that I'd marry a pastor one day. <laughs> That's at the bar, didn't it? Oh, my mind went all the way back to the pastor's living room in New Orleans when I was 10, and I just couldn't run from this Mm -hmm. at all. And I, I, I again, didn't think that I had any capacity to be a pastor. Mm -hmm. I'd much rather be behind the scenes than out in front. and, and, And I finished Baylor, and we were attending First Methodist in Waco, uh, which was, was a, that's the church where I became a Methodist. Mm-hmm. And the senior pastor one day told me, uh, Mike, I don't really know you that well, but you're going to go to Asbury Seminary. You've been called to be a pastor. You're going to come back and be my associate pastor. Wow. I'm kind of secretly jealous. Like, I know that wasn't <laughs> the path that you thought, but to have several people just so clearly say, yes, and then to have it confirmed as you took right. the steps, I, too. I was a writing major at Baylor in the mm-hmm. English department, and, and I went to him to, to see if he knew of any writing jobs in, in Waco, and he said, no, you're going to go off to seminary. You're called to be a pastor. And I think sometimes we, we really hesitate being that strong in saying things to people. Mm-hmm. But for me, I think God knew that I needed people to just come out and speak his words to me through yeah. them. Yeah. And so it, so it was these three folks. It was my pastor when I was 10. It was my future wife, Cheryl. It was Dick Freeman, pastor at First Methodist in Waco, who just flat out said, you can't run anymore. This is what you're doing. And so he said, there's only one seminary that I want you to go to, and that's Asbury. So I checked it out and applied, was admitted. We 
had never seen the campus before we got up here. We had no money. We had to sell my Honda Accord to pay for a U-Haul. Oh, wow. Get to yeah. move, you know, and three years later, Cheryl got a degree in, in Christian education, mm -hmm. and I got the MDiv in three years. I, was, I don't know how I did that. Wow. But, you worked hard. <laughs> Uh, we went back and I was the associate pastor in First Methodist Waco. Wow. Wow. So you came as a student then, yes. obviously, and then uh, you pastored for 24 years. Right. Was that, because I know you're back here as the professor of spiritual formation now. So how did, walk me through well, that I, time I, period. Well, I was a pastor in Texas and I was working on a doctor of ministry and I was on campus, and Maxie Dunham was the president, and he just happened to come in and check on us in class and had a conversation with him. And, and after my conversation with Maxie, I had a conversation with the vice president for advancement, and they asked me if I'd want to be the alumni director. Wow. <laughs> I said, well, I'm a pastor in Texas. I never thought I'd come back to this little town on a dead-end road in Kentucky. And I just sensed through confirmation from others and, and, and just in deep prayer and, and discernment, this is what we should do. So we moved our family. We had two kids at the time back here to Wilmore, and uh, we've been here ever since. Wow. So you moved from alumni director to then professor? Yes. I resigned the alumni director uh, to do a Ph.D. full-time. Mm -hmm. And while I was doing the Ph.D., I was also a pastor and finished the Ph.D. and was a pastor. Mm -hmm. I thought that's, I mean, I yeah. love doing it. And then a position came open here at the seminary. Yeah, and so awesome. here we are. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Um, when you talk about, you said you, through deep prayer and discernment, mm -hmm. what does that look like for you? Like, how do you know when you've discerned and what you're hearing? There's a, there's a great book by um, Dallas Willard. Uh, called Hearing God. Mm -hmm. I use it in my life of prayer class. Mm -hmm. And he has, he has a wonderful quote in there that, that if you say that, if you tell someone that you spoke to God, they think that's honorable. But if you tell someone that God spoke to you, they think you're crazy. Right. <laughs> and so, so having this discernment, is this God speaking to me or not? Or is, is it, you know, that there, are, there are lots of questions we can ask. Do we have confirmation in Scripture? Mm -hmm. um, do we see any contradiction in, in what a decision would have on our life of holiness? Mm -hmm. Am I listening to the right people? Yes. And all of that, I think, contributes to, to just knowing uh, without any doubt that this is where God is leading you. Now, ultimately, God's will for us is that we're holy. Right. That's it. Right. That's right. it. Right. It's not a particular career necessarily right. or, you know... God wants us to be holy. And, that, and so I guess the main question is, would this decision, coming back to Kentucky, would that interfere with my capacity to live a holy life for God? Wow. Then I feel like it kind of makes the decision easy, right? Like, or not? Well, I think it does because sometimes we can get so trapped into not wanting to step out of God's will. Yes, I mean, we could look at a menu at a restaurant. What is God's will for me? Yes. Well, it'd probably be that you eat a salad, not a burger. <laughs> but, 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 but we can become so trapped. And, and I, I, I don't think that's what life in the Spirit is. Right. I, that's what I was trying to say, is that, that the answer to that question is freeing rather than the, am I going yes. to mess up, mess up my life by misdiscerning or, you know. Right. Yeah. Right, and and sometimes when we when we make a big life changing decision like uh -huh. we did coming back to Wilmore, uh, it, it's not always going to be easy. Right, it's going to be difficult, and you have to you know it, it's easy to question. Oh, is God telling us we shouldn't have done this? I mean, when we came to seminary the first time in 1989, uh, when I when I was a student, our U-Haul caught fire in Hope, Arkansas. Uh, I, a tree fell on our car on Jessman Station Road. No way. Within the first month. And, and so, it, so it's easy to say, well, is God telling us to get back to Texas? Right, right, right. You know, did we make a mistake? Yes. But I think that's the wrong question. I think the real question is, okay, what, it, what can we learn from this about perseverance? What can we learn about steadfastness? 
Yeah. And, you know, and obstacles in life. Yeah. And, and I just think that we set ourselves up for doubting God when we, when we start to see every little thing as God saying, don't do it, don't do it. Right. Because I think in my, my own mind is going to like, because I've done that, like it gets hard. And so I'm like, oh, maybe, or it's going to be hard to do the next thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, maybe that means, but I feel like in my mind, I just connected the dot of like, oh, that's kind of the the prosperity gospel of like, if I'm going to say yes, yes. to God, that it's all going to be easy. And I think I've unintentionally subscribed to that. And that's, that's not, I mean, yes, God's blessings come in goodness, but they also come in perseverance is what I'm hearing you say. Right. And, and I think throughout history, we see there being a lot more struggle than, than blessed joy in the lives of the saints. That's true. You know, and, and we're always seeking what's, what's good, what's, what's a blessing for us, what is going to benefit us. And that is, going, that is following a prosperity gospel, and, and that has not been part of the consistent witness of the church throughout history. Oh, wow. This conversation, we're like just a few minutes in. It's changed my <laughs> life already. Um, I want to talk to you because we've talked about the role of community in your life too, but you're also um, part of a larger community, the Lay Cistercians of Gethsemane Abbey. Yes, the Lay Cistercians. Lay Cistercians, thank you. Uh, now, this is one of the wildest events of my life. Yeah. The focus of my PhD research was Bernard of Clairvaux, who lived in the 12th century. Mm-hmm. He was one of the founding fathers of the Cistercian monastic order. Years later, 900 years later, Thomas Merton wrote in the mid-20th century, he was a Cistercian monk, and he lived at Gethsemane Abbey in Bardstown. So when I was doing my Ph.D. research, I would go out to the monastery, and some monks would play detective for me and find these obscure articles in their archives. Mm-hmm. And so and so I started building relationships with these folks, and I found out about a lay organization that, that's out of that monastery, that's ecumenical, of people who are striving after holiness by living into the vows that the monks take, but outside the walls. Wow. And this intrigued me because the... Um, Cistercian approach to spirituality of, of work and prayer together really really attracted me, but I'm an evangelical holiness Wesleyan. <laughs> yes, so, <out> those myths. <laughs> you know, so how do these two go together? Yeah. But I discovered that about half of the lay Cistercians are Protestants. Really? Which made me wonder what is missing in Protestant denominations that makes these folks go to the Catholic Church for spiritual nourishment. Mm-hmm. So I became part of this of this group and actually was part of the last few years of, of helping to write the formation guide for New Lay Cistercians. Wow. It, it, it's just laughable. Yeah. And so we meet once a month at the monastery and we go through books and we pray together and, and encourage one another. Uh, it's It's been a huge blessing in my yeah. life. How would you say, how long have you been part of this? Uh, about, about 11 years now. Wow. So over a decade. How have you seen your spiritual life change as a result of your uh, membership, for lack of a better, or your, like, your partnership yeah. with this community? Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a two and a half year discernment period before mm-hmm. you're ready to make your full commitment. Mm-hmm. And in that discernment period, I found myself really questioning a lot about myself and my motivations, mm-hmm. uh, priorities, and it was it was a tremendous couple of years of my life. It was difficult, mm-hmm. a lot of angst in my life, but I think the Holy Spirit was just working and, and purifying, refining a lot of things mm-hmm. going on, mm-hmm. and so... I think my involvement with the lay Cistercians has really been to bring a a um, Wesleyan voice to to th- to the group, mm-hmm. not not to convert them into being Wesleyans, but but just to to approach the Christian faith 
in a little bit different way than they're used to. Mm-hmm. And of course, they're, 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 they're open to it. And, and th- that has allowed me to see the broader picture of the body of Christ, I think. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we can be so um, funneled in our, in our thinking of this is the church, this is what we do, this is the task of evangelism, and, and we fail to see the, the beauty of the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. For example, um, you know, Wesleyans will focus on the, the importance of evangelism. Yes, yes. Witnessing. And what I've learned from the lay Cistercians is that these monks have a calling to pray for the world. And, 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 and as one monk told me, he said, we, we pray in the throne room of heaven for the evangelists who are out on the street. Wow, yeah. So they have a role in evangelizing the world for Christ, but, but it's the hidden part. And so they see yeah. themselves as the part of the body of Christ that's below the skin. Yes. You can't see it. Yes. And and that has really helped me to to appreciate just the vastness of of the body of Christ. Right. That's a that's a beautiful picture. And just listening to a small part of your story, because you said you really just wanted to be behind the scenes. Yes. But your roles have taken you into pastoring and professoring, which are yeah. very public roles. But this lets you be part of both worlds and both worlds. Like they're so interconnected, and you can't have one without That's the true. other. That's true. I, I, I think my involvement with the lay Cistercians, the 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 inner life, really grounds me for the external work that I have to do. Yes. And I think what what I've discovered in students and in pastors is that they put their whole focus into their external ministry, and they neglect the hidden part of their lives. Mm-hmm. And that leads to nowhere but trouble. That's, that is very true. And, and so, so, I, so I, I don't think you can have an external ministry without that internal transformation that the Holy Spirit yes. does. Yes. And, and, the, and the lay Cistercians have really helped me with this. Yes. I think it's just a, a beautiful rhythm of life. Like a, yeah. 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 So that leads us right into your book, because your book is all about developing the internal, you know, what you were saying, that the internal has to be developed along with the external. Um, So why was now the right time for you to write the fourth degree of prayer? Wow. Great, great question. I've discovered over the years that lay people, even seminary students, and even some pastors are very anxious when it comes to prayer. Yes, I am for sure. And I, I mean, it was common when I was serving in a, in a local church to, you know, before meeting, ask if someone would like to open the meeting in prayer, and everybody's heads goes to the table. Yes. And I was surprised that that same effect happens in a seminary classroom. When I teach Life of Prayer, which has really become a class that a lot of um, you know, students from a lot of different degree pl- uh, programs come into this class, mm-hmm. and I and, and I love it. Mm-hmm. I'll ask f- for a volunteer to, to pray, and everybody just looks at their computer screen like I can't see them anymore. Yeah, why do you and think that is? People are intimidated by prayer, yeah. and and I and I thought you know this has to change. Yes. All we're doing is having a conversation with God. Why is that so intimidating? You know, well, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I've been married to Cheryl for decades now. Yes. And the only time I'm nervous talking to her is when I know I'm going to get in trouble. Right. <laughs> See, the rest of the time, I just talk with her because I love her. And, and I don't worry that I'm going to say something wrong. So if we have an intimate relationship with, with God, why are we so nervous to talk to him? Mm. And I think sometimes people are nervous to pray because there's some shame that they haven't prayed in a while. Mm-hmm. It's like someone who doesn't attend worship for, for a while and everybody wants them back, but they're too ashamed to come back. Right, right. But the opposite is true. When they show up, everybody's thrilled to see them. Yes. And I, and I think that's the way prayer is as well. 
that we don't have to feel shame for not spending more time with God. God just wants to hear from us. And so I wanted to write this book about prayer, not prayer as a, in a, in a prescriptive way. This is how you pray. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where a lot of, of folks in ministry and lay people want to know. Just tell me how to do it. Right. We want the checklist. Like, yes. I know I do. I'm like, oh, I want to make sure yes. I'm doing this right. Don't want to mess this up. Right. Kind of like get outside the, the yep. will of God here. So. And so there's none of that in this book. Yeah. No, there isn't. Uh, but because how, how do you tell someone how to cultivate a relationship with somebody else? Right. It, it, it happens naturally, organically. And, and so I wanted to keep the book short. It's difficult for professors to keep anything that has to do with words <laughs> short. But I wanted to keep the book short because I didn't want a book on prayer to be just as intimidating as, a, as, as prayer can be for people. Yes. And I tried to have a style that was kind of a hybrid so that people who have no seminary training at all can, can glean from it, but yet those who have some theological training can go more in-depth. Mm-hmm. So I think you can read it on, on different layers or on different levels and, and still get something out of it. So that was my goal. Yeah. I would say you definitely is on the lay level um, because that's where I am. So that's the only one I can speak to. You definitely accomplished that. I read your book and it's, it's truly beautiful and just gave me a lot to think about as I think about my own prayer life. Like as you will talk about the, the four stages or degrees of prayer. um, But yeah, just kind of was thinking like, am I in this one, this one? And then like, how do I, how do I get to, how do I live so that the next one comes right. naturally? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so I guess before we go too much further, what is what is prayer? Because it's this thing we're intimidated by a lot of times. But like, what what is what is prayer? Like, is yeah. I think simply prayer is communication with God. Yeah. It's 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 communicating with God whether. That is verbally, if it's mentally, if it's writing. I encourage people who don't like to pray or are intimidated by it just to write a letter to God. Mm-hmm. That's prayer. It's, it's, it's engaging our life with God's life. Yeah. And why we make that so complicated, I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, right? I mean, God created us. He knows everything about us. Right. We can't hide a single thing from God. So yeah. why are we intimidated to speak to God who's already speaking to us? Right. I mean, there's no way for us to start a prayer because God's already speaking to us. We're just not listening. Right. Our ears are focused elsewhere. Yeah. And so I think if we can just kind of tweak how we focus our lives, where our, 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 our aim is every day, I I I think it would change the way that that we even look at what it means to have a life of prayer. Right, because I was reading your book, and as I was thinking about it to prepare, like I was thinking about why we pray, and a lot of times I find myself praying like I need I need help, which there's nothing wrong with that. And I will say, like this morning, it's been like a stressful morning. I had some appointments that I had to be late to work, and I was like, I have this podcast going on and I try to pray um, just personally before every podcast just you know because there's always a little anxiety and I was like God I'm so anxious this morning like you know I've done this a lot but I'm just inside my and I really do feel like he answered that prayer Mm -hmm. you know like yeah he I mean I know he did because because we're doing it right now but like what are some of the other reasons that that we pray, or like, what is the role of prayer in our life? Yeah, I, you know, we're all created in the image and likeness of God. We mm-hmm. see that in, in Genesis 1. And mm-hmm. so I think we are wired, if you use that, that image, to have a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Of all of creation, of, of all of us on earth, with plants, animals, rocks, trees, only we are created to have a relationship with God, mm-hmm. we and the angels. Mm-hmm. And, and I think when we don't engage with God, I think we, 
our, our, our lives are restless, as, as Augustine writes. My mm -hmm. heart was restless till I found it in thee. And, and so we, we try to find fulfillment in lots of things in life, but until we find them in, in Jesus Christ, we're, we're, we're going to be restless. And so I think that's, that's what prayer is for us. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's a way for us to live into who we are as God created us to be. And I think the real secret uh, behind prayer, uh, and, and, and that's why I started the book the way I did, is, is answering the question, do we really love God? Yes, that was powerful. Because if we love someone, we're going to want to spend time with them. Mm -hmm. And we don't even have to try to make it work. I mean, we just want to be with them. Uh, there's a there, there's an image in Psalm 131 of a weaned child at its mother's breast, and a weaned child doesn't need nourishment from mother anymore. Mm -hmm. So the child just wants to be with its mother, yeah. without wanting anything in return. Yeah. And and I think that that kind of love is is what grounds our our prayer because. When we truly love God, not just for what God can do for mm -hmm, us, mm -hmm. but simply because we want to be with God, we can't even imagine life without God, then I think prayer will become natural to us. Yeah. So instead of trying to focus on praying, focus on answering the question, how deeply do you love God? Wow. What do we do if we don't like the answer to that question? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I've had to answer that question yes. many times. Yes, you know, just kind of, just kind of reassessing life every once in a while, and where are my priorities, and where's the focus, mm -hmm. and is life getting too complicated? Do I need to simplify things in my life so that God doesn't get lost in in the clutter mm -hmm. of life? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those kind of external things are ways that we can evaluate. Our, our depth of love for God. I think so. I mean, yeah. we, we, we try to use the excuse that technology will simplify our lives. At least that's what they tell us. Yeah, that's what they tell us. <laughs> uh, but all, all that does is just take our focus off of God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and even if we say that, that we're going to sit down and have silent prayer, we last for about 20 seconds and we get so distracted Mm -hmm. Because we could be in a quiet room and there's still a lot of noise going on. Yes, in our there's lives. noise on the inside. But the noise is inside, yes. right? Right. Yeah. And getting rid of that noise in our lives that that keeps us from hearing that still small voice of God. I used to be a children's pastor. Mm -hmm. I used to lead a children's worship service mm -hmm. at St. Luke Methodist in Lexington. Okay. Called God's Backyard. And and I learned pretty quickly that if the kids are going nuts and there's chaos in the room, don't try to outshout them. You're, you're very quiet and say, okay, as soon as y'all calm down, I'm going to say something that is going to change your life. It's, it's going to blow your mind. And they'll quiet down because they want to hear it. And I think that's how that still small voice of God works. God is not going to try to outshout all of the noise in our lives. Mm-hmm. That whisper of God's voice is going to be steady and present, and we have to have the desire to calm ourselves down and to declutter the lot, the, all the stuff in our lives that we think is so important, and then we can hear God speaking to us. Yeah, yeah, that's that's beautiful and very hard. Oh, it's so difficult. Yeah, so. What is the relationship between, like, kind of doing this organically? Because it, it can't be a checklist, but it does require some discipline. So what is the balance between, like, setting our hearts toward God and engaging in practices that will help us yeah. get there and that, that sense of striving and, like, achieving and accomplishing? Oh, that—, that achieving and accomplishing is so difficult especially for us it's for us in a methodist tradition when we think about the means of grace mm -hmm. which is the term i like a whole lot better than spiritual disciplines yes because the disciplines when we have that idea that's something that i have to do i am disciplined yes but the means of grace it's a means of experiencing god's grace so the focus is on god not on the on the 
the actions that we do. But I still think that 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 we set ourselves up. Mm-hmm. We can be like John Wesley when he was at Oxford and say, if I do this and this and this and this and this, then I'll be a holy person. Right. And it and it brought him nothing but anxiety and <laughs> depression. Uh, but again, I think if we focus on our love for God, mm-hmm. if we truly love God in, in a multi-layered way, mm-hmm. then we're going to want to read Scripture. Mm. We're going to want to pray. We're going to want to be in fellowship with others. We're going to want to attend worship and the Lord's Supper. Those things are going to come out of who we are. Uh-huh. We can't do all of those things in order to become. It's who we are leads us to what we do. Oh, yes. Yes. And, and it, it's, it's that whole idea of being before doing. You know, that there, yes. there are some religions in the world that, that focus on doing in order to become faithful. Uh-huh. If I uh-huh. do this and this and this and this, Christianity is different. Our faith is different. It's a it, it's a it's it, it's a one eighty from that, because I love God, because I've surrendered my life to Christ, because the Holy Spirit is living in me. Then how I live my life is gonna be different. Mm-hmm. So it it all starts with who we are. Uh, there's a beautiful verse in um, in Colossians Colossians um, three three I believe that. Uh, Paul writes that we've died to ourselves, and our lives are hidden with Christ in God. I love that image, Mm -hmm. because when you die to yourself, that means that you're not living for yourself anymore, that you can't improve your relationship with Christ, because how can you improve that which is dead? Right. (laughs) So if you've died to Christ, how can you improve? You can't. You get to just be. Right. But it, it's, yeah. it's abiding yes. in Christ, as Jesus said. He said, you must abide in me. And when we try to improve our relationship with Christ, what we're telling ourselves, okay, maybe I haven't yet died to myself. I've not taken up my cross. I've not, I'm not a dead person walking. I'm not hidden with Christ in God because I'm still trying to improve me. What does that look like to to die to ourselves? Because, I mean, we both, I'm guessing, if we didn't grow up, in, well, you grew up in the church, I grew up in the church. If we didn't, these words might seem weird or unusual to us. Right. What does that actually look like? Oh, boy. I know. <laughs> because it, it might not look the same for every, you know, so I'm not asking right. for a prescription. Right, just, it doesn't work the same way for everybody, but but I think... The, the desires that we have mm-hmm. are, uh, become God's desires for us. Mm-hmm. The pursuits we have in life are not about making our lives easier or better. Mm-hmm. Uh, our, our, our focus is on other people. It's, it, it's not on our own comfort. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not like the Desert Fathers would do, they gave up everything in their life and they, you know, they gave up food and they'd suffer. You know, St. Francis has said he put uh, ashes in his soup so it wouldn't taste good so that all of his joy could be in God and not in the soup. I'm not talking about that type (laughs) of existence. But when we wake up every day, our whole thoughts are on serving God. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's not a what can I achieve today? What can I get out of this day? It's what what is what is God going to do through me today? Right. Yeah, that's a completely different way. So it's not always always putting yourself. It's not even having God as the highest priority in our lives. We use that language sometimes mm-hmm. because if God is is a priority, we haven't died to ourselves. Right. See, this is difficult. It's very difficult. It's very difficult. One of the ways that you kind of help us navigate through that in your book is talking about the four stages of prayer. Because yeah. I, what I saw in those four stages, it's it's a continual dying and 
and moving to the next stage, not because of what yeah. we're doing, but because of what we're ready to receive from God that he has done from us. So could you walk us through? Yeah, and, and really the, uh, these, these, these degrees of prayer aren't mine. I, I, I kind of adapted them from Bernard of Clairvaux's uh, text mm-hmm. on loving God. Yes. In, in, in this 12th century text, he, he says that there are four different degrees or stages in loving God. And the mm-hmm. first one is that we love ourselves for the sake of ourselves. Mm-hmm. The second one is that we love God, but for our own sake. And I think that's where a lot of people are. Yes. And 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 I think even pastors today will get people to this level, give your life to Jesus and it'll make your life better, but they don't realize that that there there's far more in a love for God than just that. Mm-hmm. And then Bernard says that we love God for the sake of God. And that's that's like that weaned child at its mother's breast, where mm-hmm. we, we love God. Lord, I don't desire anything for myself. I just love you because you are who you are. Uh-huh. But then he says the deepest degree of prayer is, is when we love ourselves, but for the sake of God. And that seems like a step back, but it's uh-huh. really not because we can't even imagine ourselves existing without God. Oh, yeah. And, and, so, and so I took those four degrees of, of, of love for God, and I, and I thought that they it would overlay beautifully with with prayer mm-hmm. because our capacity to pray as i said before i think is 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 based on our on our on our love for god right and so and so i began to look at at different depths of praying mm-hmm. and saw how they lined up with these four degrees of love for god right I really like, and I think you mentioned it earlier in the podcast a little bit, your relationship with your wife, Cheryl, but throughout the book, you kind of connected it to a relationship with another human being. And that makes, at least in my mind, that makes so much sense because you start out with another person and you're getting to know them. And then just over time, that relationship deepens because people who have been married 50 years have a different type of relationship than people at least we hope they do. Sometimes no, but like, do you, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when, when I first met Cheryl at, at, at a summer camp in East Texas, and we started dating, I said, you know, this is really going to make my reputation with others step up because they see me with her. Right. <laughs> so, right. And, but you were you probably know. intimidated at the beginning, yeah, right? right. And so I saw that, I thought, okay, I could date Cheryl. She's going to be good for me. Mm-hmm. Right. And And it was absolutely true. But then as we fell in love, that that began to deepen and and I just wanted to be around her all the time you know and we were at different schools and that was really hard mm-hmm. our you know when she was a senior and 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 I was at Baylor and 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 that was hard because we just wanted to be together mm-hmm. and 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 then i mean our our, our love just just deepened and deepened mm-hmm. and deepened so now we can drive across the country to go visit our our kids in Dallas and we, we can go 50 miles without saying a word to each other, and it's okay because we're just together. Yeah. We don't have to say anything. Right. She, she knows my mannerisms and what's going on in my mind. I know, I know what's going on in her mind, and, and, and I think that really does correspond with our love for God and, mm-hmm. and, and, and prayer with God as, as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, for sure. The last degree is kind of, of you know, where we all – I think would like to get is where I would like to get is where uh, loving God connecting with him is just part of my very nature so that people don't necessarily see Heidi. They, they see God, right? How do we, how do we get to that, that point? Yeah, that's, that's the question, right? (laughs) I'm, and I'm not sure we can ever get there. I think the Holy Spirit has to do that work in us. For sure. You know, because yeah. I, I, if, if we say, well, this is where I want, want to aspire mm-hmm. to attain. You know, this is where I want to go. I think that our focus is not on God. Right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. How do we, yeah. how do we change that? Because it's just yeah. it's so built into me. I think it's so built into a lot of us. Yeah. And I know we've talked about this before, but, like, how do we, how do we change that very, that very thing in us that is like, oh, I need to get to this stage? I know. I think we we are so 
focused on striving towards something. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we strive to lose weight. We strive to work out, to, to do all of these things for ourselves. And that mm-hmm. jumps right into our relationship with God, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this fourth degree of prayer is, is a gift from God. And if, if we strive and do whatever we can to make sure that we get a gift for Christmas, it's, mm. it's, not, that, it's not that special when we unwrap it because no, it's, it's what we wanted. Right. But when something happens and we receive a gift that we're not expecting at all, what a blessing. Yes. And I think that's what this fourth degree of prayer is. If Don't focus on the fourth degree of prayer. Focus on the depth of your love for Christ. Mm-hmm. And let God lead you where, where he wants you to go in your relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Because this fourth degree of prayer is really not for ourselves at all. It's, it, 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 it's how we become spiritual fruit for others. Mm-hmm. Because if we try to focus on a relationship with God to improve ourselves, right. that's a very selfish endeavor. St. Augustine even has a, it's a term in Latin, incurvatus in se, it's a curving inward upon oneself. Mm, mm-hmm. And Martin Luther says that that's a definition of sin, is when our lives are turned inward upon ourselves. So we need to be careful that any spiritual pursuit we have mm-hmm. doesn't end up just becoming a sin in our lives. For sure. And... This happens when our focus is, is not on becoming spiritual fruit to nourish other people. Mm-hmm. If we're just trying to improve ourselves, bring peace to ourselves, contentment, it's very, it's very mm-hmm. self-focused. Mm-hmm. And, and sadly, that that's, that's where some of modern publications on prayer are. It's, it's how to improve yourself through prayer. Right, yes. But that's just a turning inward upon ourselves if it doesn't end up as, as spiritual fruit for others. Oh, wow. So the, you know, the, this is why I tell seminary students that this degree that they're pursuing that seems mm-hmm. to take forever sometimes is not for themselves. Right. Every right. class they take is not for them. It's, it's for the people that they will encounter in ministry to help draw them closer to Christ. That's so, a beautiful thing. So, so if, if that becomes their focus, I think it's going to be easier to read all those textbooks and to write those papers mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's not a self-pursuit. Mm-hmm. Knowledge for the sake of ourselves is just, it just, it's just for pride, but we learn so that we can for the sake of, yeah. be in the lives of others and draw them to Christ. That's why they're doing this. That's beautiful. I never thought about theological education and really you, anything that way at all that it's not solely for me it's for other people yeah. yeah and and when I was first a student here I didn't have that mindset at all mm-hmm. I mean, I'm very competitive with myself same and I remember when Dr. Oswalt gave me my first B on a paper yeah isn't that funny that I remember that it was Dr. Oswalt but <laughs> I remember I not been to seminary. I remember my. I think I made a C in biology. It was life changing for me. Yeah, and 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 so I got this B. It was it was on a test in the history of Israel class, and it just knocked me down. So I went home and I wrote a poem called "Attack of the Killer Bee." Mm-hmm. And the first line: "A killer bee stung my pride today. Look out for those bees, because they'll get you." <laughs> but I needed to be stung because. Yes. It completely changed mm-hmm. my whole perspective of why I was getting that degree. Mm-hmm. So, so the Holy Spirit guided Dr. Oswald in, in grading my paper <laughs> or, or had me write a paper that wasn't that quality yes. just to teach me this lesson. And, and I remember that my focus was not on myself or the grades I was going to get or how it was going to improve my knowledge of this or that, mm-hmm. but on the people that I didn't yet have an opportunity to meet. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit was working preveniently in me to prepare me to engage them mm-hmm. with the gospel. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. 
and so I use that hard lesson with students, and, and, and I have to remind myself of that, yeah. you know. Yeah. As people read your book, they will likely want to engage in some maybe new rhythms or reestablish some mm-hmm. old rhythms. Do you have any not I'm not asking this as a prescriptive thing because we've already established it can't be that, but do you have any like recommendations for people as they seek to establish a rhythm of prayer and a rhythm to receive the means of grace in their lives? Yeah, I great. I I, I really think it goes back to just simply focusing on whether or not they've taken up their cross and have followed followed Jesus. Mm-hmm. What is the degree to which they love God? Mm-hmm. So in some ways, it's not even about the means of grace at all. Mm-hmm. It's about their relationship with Christ. Um, now, the means of grace can place us in a position where we're able to receive mm-hmm. from God. Mm-hmm. But I think if, if, if the delight of our lives is God, I think those means of grace are just going to happen in our lives. Yeah. Because we are going to want to engage in the things that are going to keep us centered on Christ and connected with Christ. Mm. Yeah. And so it's organic. Like, right, right. So, so it's not focusing on all of these means of grace it's it's just focusing on god it's like if i get cheryl a a cup of coffee in the morning which i've done for all these years i always get a cup of coffee it's just one of those things if i fill it too full and i have to walk it from the coffee pot to where cheryl is if i walk and say don't spill it it's going to spill but if i say okay i'm going to walk to cheryl it's not going to spill right yeah. And and I think that's the way it is with the means of grace. If we say, okay, I have to do this and do this and do this, we're going to find our lives spilling a little bit. Yes. But, but if we say, okay, I love God, and my life is completely centered on God, then I think we're going to walk and it's not going to spill. Yeah. Now, that may seem idealistic, but, but in my own life, I've discovered that that's that that's been the case because mm-hmm. I've there there there've been some dry times in ministry especially mm-hmm. when I thought that my relationship with with Christ was part of my job description as a pastor. Mm-hmm. And so I had to pray. I had to have a quiet time. I had to be in a small group because that's that's what I had to do rather than I love God with my heart, mind, soul and strength and because of that I'm I'm I can't wait to engage in these things. Right. It, it, right. It's just a change in perspective, I think, sometimes. Yes. It's not a complete life overhaul for, for those who are, who are already following Christ. Mm-hmm. It's just, just a little tweak sometimes. It's all that it, all that it takes. Yeah. Just a little tweak. Yeah. And changing perspective can change yeah. everything. Yep. Yeah. Wow. If, if I get writer's block, what I'll do sometimes is just take my desk and my study at home and just move it to a different wall Yes, that helps so much. It's the same room, it's the same desk, same chair, same computer, but it's just a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think it, it, it's as easy as that for us. Yeah, yeah, sometimes it is. Dr. Voigt, this conversation has been a delight. I have one question that I ask everyone who comes mm-hmm. on the show, but before I do that, is there anything else you'd like to mention that I didn't know to ask you? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um I guess the, the, the only thing about the book is that I, I wrote it uh, with a hope that this could be used by small groups, Sunday school classes, because I, I think this book would be really helpful with discussion. Yes. And yes. processing it with other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, I've had opportunities to um, teach this in a couple of settings, and, and I've just discovered that the discussion people have had has really brought some depth. Yes. And so... so um, that's just the, the, the only last thing I'd like to say about the yes, book is that sure. I, I would love to see this in small groups uh, or, in, or in classes. I think it could be a real, real blessing to folks. Definitely. And we'll link to your book in the show notes so that if people want to purchase a copy, they can, it'll just be right there for them. So, so the one question we ask everyone who comes on the show, because the show is called the Thrive with Asbury Seminary yeah. Podcast, what is one practice that is helping you thrive in your life right now? One practice that's helping me thrive. 
I think it's the word simplicity. Oh. Mm-hmm. I try to keep my life uncluttered as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Because to thrive with God means that, that, that we are with God, God is with us. And if, and if we have a lot of other things in our lives that are getting in the way of that, mm-hmm. it's gonna keep us from really thriving with God. Mm-hmm. So, so I try to keep out things in my life that I really don't need. Okay, say more about that. Like, because you're a professor, you're right. very busy, so you have. Because sometimes I think of simplicity and uncluttering as like, oh, I'm I'm doing nothing. Right, right. No, it's if if there's something in your life that doesn't draw you closer to Jesus, why would you want it in your life? For real. That 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 is the simplicity for me. Okay. So. I mean, I'm a big sports fan, mm-hmm. okay? I love sports, but sports doesn't draw me closer to Jesus. Sometimes I, I get angry. <laughs> That's the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> but, but so I really have to, I, I have to put limits on that. Okay. You know, it, it, it's easy to sit down and just binge watch a show. Mm-hmm. And then hours have gone by. It's three in the morning. It's like, what in the world? I've wasted all that time. Mm-hmm. If that doesn't draw you closer to Jesus, why do you spend your time doing that? Yes. Why, why do we invite something into our lives that's going to be a hindrance to our walk with the Lord? Mm. Yeah. And so, so for me, that's what helps me thrive. Wow. You've given me and our audience so much to think about, Dr. Voigt. Mm. Thank you so very much. Thank you for writing this book. Thank you for taking the time to talk more about it with me and just thank you for the the work and who you are in the world. Oh, I'm I'm just so thankful to be at Asbury Seminary training up these folks and yeah. it's been great being with you today. Really yeah. enjoyed this time. Thank you so much. Thanks. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation with Dr. Voigts. I felt like today's conversation was such a gift to me personally and there were so many nuggets of truth that he shared that really changed my perspective and I hope you found it helpful as well. If you haven't already, be sure to pick up a copy of his book, The Fourth Degree of Prayer. It's available uh, for purchase on Wiffenstock and Amazon. The links are in our show notes. And if you know Dr. Voigt, just be sure to tell him thanks for being on the podcast today. Really appreciate who he is and the work that he is doing in the world. As always, you can follow Asbury Seminary in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at, at Asbury Seminary. Until next time, I hope you'll go do something that helps you thrive.